Thank you for the prayer. And discovering my place in kingdom service. This is wrapping up four parts of our discussion this weekend about spiritual gifts. And this is a long chapter in 1 Corinthians, if you turn there with me. And in Sunday school, we looked at the first section of this to verse 11. And we looked at different metaphors. We looked at Barry the bee and rabbits and squirrels and other kinds of connections, metaphors, trying to understand what is our place of ministry, our place of service in the kingdom, in the local church. And one of the things I think about this time of year, I enjoy sports. I think a lot of us enjoy athletic competition or watching it or being part of it. And one of the things you might recall from grade school, some of you are still in grade school, and we used to play softball when I was in grade school. That was one of our favorite activities. And remember that whole thing of raising your hand, pick me, pick me. You'd have two captains, pick up two teams. And what position do you want to play on the team? And sometimes we might think, well, I want to take that same perspective when I come into thinking about ministry in the church. We're sort of raising our hand, pick me, pick me. But really it's the Holy Spirit who is picking us. He is the captain of the team. In a sense, there's not a competition in the kingdom. There's cooperation, which is a really different kind of team to be on. There are different churches. There are different denominations. But it's all in God's kingdom, and we're on kingdom teams. In our fall season, people are competing for championships. And there's a lot of all kinds of legal and illegal things happening. I won't go into all of that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But to think about, we just concluded the World Series. And my wife and I, we're from Pennsylvania, and we rooted for the Phillies. Well, they didn't turn out too well in the National League. And then we started rooting for the loser of that series to, for the uh, National League for the Diamondbacks. And that didn't work out too well. But we're happy that the Rangers, who never had a championship, at least won it. But thinking about kingdom teams... Churches are planted and grow, and we follow Jesus, and we don't get a trophy now. We don't get that trophy till we're in heaven. So we don't compete against each other, but we are on a team, and we need to have that sense of team cooperation. And looking at this section, this is a long section to look at in a sermon this morning, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 20. And as I read through that, we're looking at this concept that Paul is saying there's lots of diversity, but there's also a unity that happens here in the body of Christ. So let's look at those verses 12 to 20. And I appreciate the reading of some of my favorite passages there, the one being Ephesians 4. Ephesians is 4, that's sort of where I camp out. That's sort of my home address. You can email me or call me or send me a note, but my real zip code is Ephesians 4. The body is a unit, or you could say a team, though it is made up of many parts. And though its many parts are many, and its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit onto one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. 
So Paul is already beginning to set the stage to understand there's great diversity in the New Testament church. <clears throat> and in my voice this morning, there is great diversity also. <clears throat> you realize um, in the past week as I was preparing for this weekend, I had my sort of annual time of uh, sinus infection. So uh, my wife, who's a retired nurse, she does great care for me. And about the middle of the week, she said, should we call Glenn and tell him that we can't make it this weekend? Are you going to be able to talk, you know, and all of that? You know, what's like, <clears throat> I have a, sort of, uh, doctors have described, it's not a cold, it's an allergic reaction to leaf mold. And so guess what I'm doing this time of year? I'm chopping up our leaves and putting them in our compost pit for our garden, which is one of my hobbies. And so in the process, some years is worse than others. This is one of those years where I live by faith. So I came here uh, trusting God, and I'm making it. I think I'm going to make it here. I have a pocket full of cough drops, and you can be praying that I'll make it through here. But the voice you're hearing this morning, it's not quite... The, the real John voice. This is sort of John in the recovery mode, so you understand that part. So thinking about the diversity here that Paul is talking about, the New Testament church struggled with an issue. And one of its biggest issues is, as Jesus came and transitioned the Jewish people from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, in that transition, they had to give up some of their traditions some of the things which they held as sacred. And when their temple was destroyed, the church then took on new members from all over the Roman Empire. And they estimate that in the first hundred years of the church, they were successful. We don't know, but that's some of the uh, researchers think that maybe they evangelized half of the Roman Empire during that time. That's amazing to think about. There, They might have evangelized, they don't know, 20 million, 50 million people, they don't know. They estimate. But one of the key things that happened was the church no longer was just a renewal movement within the uh, Jewish movement. It was now incorporating Jews, Gentiles, slave and free. And back in that day, slave and free is different than today. The slaves were people that were living on large, or working on large plantations and they estimate that maybe only 10% of the Roman Empire, it's a big area, um, <clears throat> it's even bigger than Texas, that they estimate that about 10% owned the land and the other 90% were some kind of serf or slave, and we would think of it like some kind of indentured servant that was living there. So that, that word, understand here that the church now is comprising everyone in the cultural mix in, our, in the society, and it's including not just different ethnic groups, different language groups, but also different classes, different economic levels. So here you have, if you can imagine this, the person who is the slave, who just simply the servant who works on the property, and the owner of that property, they're coming to worship together. So this is an amazing thing that the church is basically struggling with its first hundred years to think about how can we demonstrate this unity and love in Christ for one another because the Jews realized they're going to have to change some of the traditions, give up some of their things, and one of the things was circumcision. And Paul talked a lot about that, that you don't have to become a Jew or be circumcised for becoming a Christian. 
Baptism is the sign of the new covenant in Christ. Then going on to verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That's, you know, Paul is pretty creative here. He has body parts talking to one another. And just picture this in his, it's almost humorous what he's describing here in this situation. And then if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, can you imagine that? That's even stranger looking than a minion, isn't it? It's this, imagine if your whole body was like this big eyeball with little tiny hands and feet that you had. Really strange looking. So Paul is getting the point across for us to think about with our spiritual gifts, if we all were having the gift of prayer, if we all had the gift of evangelism, it would be out of place, out of sync. And we did that exercise this morning to see the complementary distribution of spiritual gifts. And I would say the distribution here at the church we saw this morning in the Sunday school class was fairly normal. So, Pastor Glenn, you have a normal church. You didn't know you know that. With a normal pastor and with an abnormal bishop. So, when you think about it, <clears throat> that the distribution of gifts we saw this morning, not everyone has the gift of prayer, but prayer is so important, isn't it? Prayer releases the power of God. It's really amazing. Without prayer, not much happens. Without prayer, we're basically striving and serving on our own strength, not God's strength. We need prayer to empower our ministries and to be covering our ministries. So thinking about that, Paul is really building a strong case here that has a bit of humor with it because it's really an important issue, and he's doing it in a very unique way. Then moving on to verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that interesting? Who is really designing the church? In a sense, the personality of Arthur Mennonite Church. You're being designed by the personalities, by the gifts, by the talents, the skills you have here in your church, by God. And it's not by the leadership team. It's not by the conference. It's by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And to think about this, we're going to stop here at that point before we move to the next one. To think about what Paul is saying here, we need to have a healthy body, and to look at our bodies and think about, think about it if we had five hands. We only have two hands, right? And so we have symmetry. God designed our bodies. Paul's using the physical body as a way to describe the unity and the diversity in the church. And he says we already have that unity in Christ and the spirit, but we have great diversity in the church culturally, which is a new thing for the people that were originally, the original church was Jewish when Jesus' day, and then they reached out to the Gentiles as the Spirit came in Pentecost. We're going to look at the next section of verses here, from verses 21 to 26. 
And so working together as a team, as we do that, we utilize each member with special care, respect, and honor. And here he's looking at the importance of how we treat one another and to not have, in a sense, one set of gifts uh, over the other. And there was a bit of sometimes rivalry in the early church, and Paul had to address that. And the church in Corinth, uh, I try to describe it sort of like, if you can use your imagination, the church in Corinth was sort of like being the church in Las Vegas or Reno. It was a very uh, spiritual church, but it also was a very church that was very worldly and had a lot of problems. So it was living in a, in a town, in a city, that had a lot of the problems that we would maybe think of in terms of what Las Vegas and Reno deal with in terms of all the issues there of sensuality and so on. And Paul is addressing these people, and because when they came to Christ, they were so excited, they were so spiritual, but they kept living at times in a very imbalanced and undisciplined way. So I'll read this next section and sort of walk through it to get the point of this passage. Paul then uses this metaphor. It's really, it's almost like you can picture it like a cartoon. This morning we went to Barry the Bee. If you can think of this almost like a cartoon, that Paul is saying, imagine these different body parts. Well, how humorous is this? Talking to one another as though they are superior, don't need the rest of the body. So, in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But Paul has combined, I'm sorry, but God has combined the members of his body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, each part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And you could feel that today, couldn't you, in Nancy's intercessory prayer. You made it through it, but it was expressing her heart. She was doing her job, but it had the heart and compassion of what has happened in the loss in your community, in your church here this week, a tragic loss. And as we deal with losses and tragedies and trauma in our lives, we need to express that love and concern for each other. And when we think about that, that's what Paul is saying. We need to build each other up and care for one another in the journey. We're on the same team. We don't do the tearing down. And you think about what you see in terms of professional sports today. I enjoy college football, and college football is becoming more like professional. They're getting paid. Sometimes they have in their NIL, um, I just saw somebody had $20 million in their NIL before they even came on campus. The, the amount of money and competition is probably going to make uh, college football sort of like semi-pro football. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a good thing. What I'm saying is, I sort of long for the good old days when you went to school and you were a student first and an athlete second. And today, I think what's happened, we're going and we're athletes first and uh, students second. 
So my point being is that in our culture here, there's such competition and tearing people down and people competing, using money to buy championships. And it's coming uh, out, it's gonna bring, uh, I think, corruption and issues to monitor in uh, collegiate sports. In our life in the church, we live in this very competitive world. And we come in the church, we have to think about, we're supposed to be a different people. And I'll give one illustration of how I think uh, sometimes the living out of our faith uh, sometimes is put on a sort of a, a schedule, sort of like a plan. And I was in a, um, I'll call it a men's Bible study kind of meeting on a weekend retreat, and uh, there with a close friend, and uh, we were sharing, and uh, they had discussion there, and they were saying, a lot of these men in the, in the meeting were Christian businessmen that were very successful. And they also are very committed to Christ. And uh, sometimes how we live nine to five carries over into our spiritual life. And uh, I was there with my friend, and uh, we were talking about how important it is to live for Jesus and to have this idea of what Paul is getting at, to care for one another and not to take that competition thing into the church, but in a sense take our faith into the world that's based on competition. And so the one man shared, he said, you know, uh, and he's a very, this is a very committed Christian man, and he said, I am a very dedicated Christian, but it says, he says, on Monday morning, when work starts at 8, it's all business. And there was sort of like a gasp. My friend turned to me and he says, I don't believe I just heard him say that. <laughs> because he thought that this individual was living out their faith. He was very evangelistic, had deep, very conservative kind of biblical faith. But for some people, business is business and faith is faith. They're so like it's separate worlds. And so what happens is when we take that attitude, that's what happened here at Corinth, they were bringing their culture, which again, think of a Las Vegas kind of culture into the church, led to all kinds of problems. If you read First and Second Corinthians, um, you get an idea of how upset Paul is at the church and how, in a sense, central the church had become and um, living, in a sense, very unfaithful to Christ at times. So, we need to think about how we can live in a world and that can be so competitive in the business standpoint and then how that can come into our church life and compete there or think I have to earn or compete with one another or somehow earn these spiritual gifts. Paul is saying that we're one, we're on a team, and I think we need to be sensitive to the idea of how do we take our faith and when we punch in at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, on Monday morning, whenever it is you go to work, you're the same person as you are when you're in church and you're in your Bible study. That there's not like this public self and private self. It's the same self that's in Christ. Our third point, looking at how Paul is going to now repeat this principle again, and it's such an important principle, he's going to repeat it in this passage. 
And it's that unity and diversity. And that we're one and we care for one another. We have compassion. And we want to live out our faith in a way, as Ephesians says, we want to speak the truth in love and have a life of integrity. But there's not a difference between our public self and our private self. There's not a difference between my church or my faith self and my business self or person. The last section here I'll read. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. In the church, God has appointed, notice this is God, the Spirit is doing this, appointing first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help each others, help others. And we talked about the importance of that helping gift this morning. Those with gifts of administration and those speaking in different kinds of tongues are all apostles. These are now a list of rhetorical questions, which means Paul's asking the question and he's not expecting them to give an answer because it's redundant. He knows that the answer is no, but he's going to keep doing it. And watch what he says here. Are all apostles? No, we know the obvious answer. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Then he says in closing, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And what he's got the point across, I'm going to leave the ending there just for a bit of transition as we close here. But to think about that what he's saying here is we don't all have the same dominant gifts. This morning we looked at those gift clusters and mixes and how we went to different corners. And somebody asked the question, how does our gift mix, how is it displayed? And sometimes we don't really have a sense of how they work together. But if you look at your gift clusters, your first list of dominant and then your subordinate gifts, if you look at your top, say, six to eight spiritual gifts, and you look at those numbers on them, and you think about how you utilize those different gifts in different service opportunities, in different functions, and then how it impacts people. There's where you may see how they cluster together when you're in actual utilization of those gifts. Oftentimes, we can't just sit back and not use our gifts. Once we know what they are, that's why we need people like the uh, gift discernment committee to the commission to help us. We need others sometimes to see the gifts that are present in us and ask us, maybe you want to use that gift. I can recall when I was a young person in a uh, youth group in our church, it was called Torchbearers. This was the Mennonite version of Boy Scouts back in the uh, 60s. <clears throat> and uh, I remember one time we were having a weekend retreat and uh, I was probably age-wise about the middle of the group and the leader called me aside, and he said, John, come here, I want to talk to you, have a private conversation. And said I had that feeling, you know the feeling when you're called to the principal's office? Maybe you never had the joy going to the principal's office. Um, I did on occasion. Sometimes the principal and I had conversations. We had like a consultation. You know, I don't know if he was lonely, wanted to talk to me or, or something, you know, but at times he felt he needed to have a consultation. So anyway... We had this little uh, five-minute chit chat there, and I remember that little pulling aside was one of those little taps on the shoulder. And we used to have that practice in the church of tapping. It's called tapping on the shoulder. Okay? Today we have a fancier way. It's called the gift discernment committee. 
when the gift discernment committee comes talking, they're tapping you in the shoulder. Oops, look at that. Like they say, timing is everything. When they come knocking on your door, that's a tap on the shoulder. The tap on the shoulder I received that morning, this was a Saturday morning before we're heading out for the weekend of camping, and our group was really into camping. We bought our own army surplus tent. We had our own plot up in the hill, and we just loved uh, going camping a lot. And he said, you know, sometimes I have noticed that you have a lot of leadership and impact on the group. And I said, oh, I do? You know, you can imagine how that would be when you're in fifth or sixth grade. And he said, uh, he said I need your help this weekend. I said, how's that? He said, um, he was operating by himself. You can imagine a dozen boys uh, that he's going to be taking out for the weekend by himself. He was a man of faith and maybe a little crazy, but a lot of fun. And he said, I need your help because your influence, your leadership will help this be a positive weekend. And I just really pondered that. At a young age, that was probably the first time anybody asked me to use gifts of leadership, and I hadn't really signed up for this. And this is at a young age that he asked me. But that sticks with me. And that's the encouragement I have for you is, it might be a small thing that someone's going to ask you to do something or to help something happen. And that's that tap on the shoulder, we used to call it. Today, we call it the Gift Discernment Committee. And so, different names, same function. The idea is we need others to sometimes help us understand our own gifting, because it's sort of like a mirror. You know, you think about it. You really can't put your makeup on or comb your hair properly without a mirror. And that's a little bit the way it is with our spiritual gifts. We have some sense of what they are, but other people really help us reflect and think about what are my gifts? And they help us. We need the community, the people of, of Christ, the body of Christ, to help us understand who we are and how to use our spiritual gifts. The last verse there, I'm just part of that verse there as we close. Paul then is summing all this up. And I'm going to say this sort of like summing up the whole weekend. And I have one uh, final slide there, I believe. Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And that's sort of like what I'm saying. After we've done and said all that we've had this weekend, there's one final thought before we move on. It's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is the more excellent way. And it's probably one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And it is just powerful. And that's the kind of thing we need to reflect on as we think about using our spiritual gifts with a spirit of love. Here's my concluding slide for the weekend. That I, this is my formula, it doesn't come out of a book, this is sort of my discernment, is that I think spiritual gifts plus needs. Okay? There's a need in the body here at Arthur. There's a need for grief support for this tragedy that just happened. Mercy and kindness and compassion need to be poured out to those family and friends who've experienced this deep, tragic loss. And there's other needs in the body. There's always abundant needs, and there's abundant gifts in the body. So gifts plus needs, I believe, this is my formula, I always like things in a mathematical kind of formula, equal kingdom service and impact. 
The way we impact people is through meeting needs with our spiritual gifts. We don't just hang out in a tree and say, see my gifts? No. They have to be implemented into some kind of need and cause and issue to make a difference for Christ. And now here's your reflective statement in closing. I'd like you to take a minute and think about it. Because of what I have learned, shared, and experienced this weekend, I will. This is called an I will statement. And you can think about that for each Sunday, each Bible study, each small group that you're in. That after I've had this experience together in the community, the body of Christ, and there's things that happen when we're in the body that are different than just my own personal devotion and walk with Christ, there's things that happen there that can't happen without the body, without the community. So after I've had this experience in the community of faith here this weekend at Arthur, what I have learned and shared experience, I will. Just take a minute to think about what will I do with what I have learned, shared, and experienced this weekend. Take a moment and what the Spirit is saying to you, and then we'll move into the closing song. Let's have our closing prayer and uh, we'll pray for John and Lois's trip back home this afternoon and their, our time with uh, the fellowship meal. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this wonderful weekend. Uh, thank you for John and Lois being here. We pray your blessing in their travels. Pray your blessing on the meal, the, all the wonderful food that has been brought uh, to share today. Uh, be with our time of fellowship. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we go out into the world. May we bring peace. May we have courage. May we hold on to what is good. May we help the suffering. May we love and serve you, Lord, in all the gifts that you have blessed us with. And uh, may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon each one and remain with you forever. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.